0: huge hi to Brendan who has joined us today on our Humans at Work podcast and our Humans at Work podcast is brought to you by the Being More Human team and we work with individuals, teams and organisations to help reach potential. So Brendan, could you please introduce yourself and a little bit about the work that you do?
1: Yeah, I certainly can Michelle, thank you very much for that. Uh, My official title is a leadership and team performance coach And really effectively, that means I work with leaders to help them become more effective and teams to become less dysfunctional. Uh, So I've been in the consultancy space since about September 2015, uh, when I left the corporate space, uh, worked in shipping of all industries, a a true global industry, I like to tell people. Um, So yeah, I spent over 20 years in the shipping game, got out in 2015, set up my consultancy, uh, made the... The good or not so good mistake of working for a, a client uh, that I'd done a fair bit to work for for a couple of years full time. Uh, so that obviously put pay to serving other clients. And I left that in twenty early 2018 and got back into the consultancy space. So, um, you know, again, really helping leaders become uh, better leaders, uh, develop better as a better leader, uh, and to help. Uh, work with their teams, create better interaction in their teams, so they can get better results. Ultimately, that's the uh, that's the best measure of a high performing team: what results they set out to do and uh, whether they achieve them or not.
0: Mm, fantastic! And I might just get you to reflect on teams that you've been involved in in the past. Have you got a favourite team that you really loved being part of? And if so, why?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I I think the I'm, I'm going to jump across to sporting. Team, because I think we can all resonate with that so well. Um, I mean, there is a, a corporate team I was part of, but from a sporting perspective, you know, I played a lot of semi-professional football. Uh, still, try and run around the pitch today, and you know, being part of a team back in the, the early two thousands, uh, you know, playing semi-professionally and you know, winning uh, you know some awards in that team, just you know, all the team rallying together behind a common goal, which is a really important thing that teams must have. Uh, And achieving that goal and and to me it just there's just nothing more satisfying for me than actually achieving something that you set out but doing with a group of people that you really care about Uh, and in that case you know a group of mates and and just being able to celebrate uh, with a group of people that you uh, enjoy spending time with is just you know to me that's the that's the bee's knees that's the ultimate
0: Mm. Well, you've um mentioned a couple of times already this idea of focusing on a goal or focusing on mm-hmm. the of a goal how important mm-hmm. is that for an exceptional team to be able to do that
1: well it's it's the thing that makes you a team you know if there's so many uh, i guess organizations out there that use the word team quite liberally uh, i know i've led what i thought were teams you know over the years as well as a, as a leader, and really we weren't working together towards a common goal. So it's the one thing that distinguishes you between being a team and and really being a working group. You know, working groups historically they come together, they report on individuals in the team in the group report on what they're doing, and uh, but they're not really working towards anything collectively. So it is absolutely paramount as a first stage of of being a team or becoming a team that the group of people coming together to be this team are focused and agree on some collective goal that they're working towards.
0: Great. And what are some of the other, like if I if I was observing two different teams and one was a dysfunctional team and one was a high-performing team or an exceptional mm. team, what are the differences that I would notice between those two teams?
1: Yeah, f- fundamentally how I like to explain that is really Across two, there's several areas, but I think we can always break it down into two. Uh, one of them is performance, you know, achieving uh, certain things individually within that team. So, you know, people being clear on what their performance goals are, how they contribute to the value of this team and how the work they do contributes to achieving the overall goal. Uh, and the other part of that is the accountability That the group has to each other around helping each other achieve those performance goals. The key thing behind that is behaviors as well. And I'm sure you know a lot about that with your background: that you know, behaviors of teams and individuals and teams is so important. So the conversation that people have around behaviors, the mutual accountability to standards of behaviour is absolutely critical. Um, to, again, there's a, a number of things that you can dive into with those two areas, but ultimately performance around specific you know, deliverables goals uh, and then accountability to those goals and particularly accountability behaviours. If you're seeing that in a team, then you can expect that they're more higher functioning. If you don't see that in a team, then you know, A, they're not really a team, but they're just a group of people uh, and there's probably lack of trust you know they're probably not uh, supporting each other and yeah you know, a bit of that office politics comes into play then doesn't it
0: yeah yeah so you're talking about behaviors in a team let's just deep dive into those behaviors for a minute what are those behaviors that make a highly exceptional team the individual behaviors that people can actually do what do they look like and what are they
1: well You've got a, I'm a big supporter of a guy called Patrick Menzioni uh, who wrote... He's written several books, but one of them is called The Five Dysfunctions of the Team. So ultimately, if you think about the basis of the five dysfunctions is an absence of trust. So, you know, people... Not trusting each other, you know, people not showing vulnerability. So that could be a case of you know somebody thinking that they they know certain things and they they're covering that they they think they know certain things and they always get found out eventually. Um, you know they're not vulnerable enough to sort of put their hand up and say, hey, you know I'm I'm no good at this. You're better at this than me. Uh, can you help me? Um, Yeah, those sorts of conversations happen in high-performing teams because people are vulnerable. Vulnerability, as we know, builds trust. Um, The other key part of... The Five Dysfunctions talks about conflict. So, you know, if I'm working with a team or I do a lot of meeting observations in the work that I do and if there's this absence and this uh, fear of conflict, we call it, so people not really having solid debate around topics uh, and really buying into conversations, then, you know, you're, you're not... Either not tackling the issues that people are passionate about, uh, and/or there's a level of trust that's not quite there for people to really, you know, go out in a limb and, and say what they really think about an idea that the leader may have come up with or somebody else in the team may have come up with. So that's the sort of behaviours that you start to see uh, in a team that is performing well or on the verge of performing well. And obviously, just flip the the corner of that, you know, you you don't see that stuff in teams that have you know dysfunction. Uh, and what? I think we've got to be we've got to be really clear that. it's a little bit like COVID, I think, at the moment. You know, going for this zero cases is just, you know, a a level that, in my humble opinion, is unachievable. Having no dysfunction in a team is is not, you know, is unachievable. There's always an element of dysfunction. The trick is how do we minimise the dysfunction? How do we understand what it is, first of all, and therefore we're aware about it so we can make some steps to reduce the amount of dysfunction that happens?
0: Mm. Have you worked with a particularly difficult team, a particularly dysfunctional team that comes to mind and I'm interested in what was done to turn them around?
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's well, like one way I guess said to me uh, a little while ago in, a, in an interview that you don't often get a call from you know, a leader saying yeah, everything's really working fantastically well. Uh, I need your, you know, I want you to come in and, and support us. It's sort of there's always some issue happening. Um, I guess the there is one that, you know, really springs to mind and uh, it's it's probably a difficult one to sort of talk about because it's still ongoing. It hasn't been ongoing for some time. But, you know, it, it involves a you know, particular person in the team who is, uh, extremely, uh, shows an extreme lack of humility, uh, so is, is really not vulnerable uh, to themselves or to the, the other members of the team, um, you know, which creates a huge element of distrust, distrust in the group uh, and, the you know, the, the politics that plays out around that distrust is just enormous. So, and the, uh, the level of uh, you know, people holding back in conversation you know, is is enormous. You know, the lack of commitment to things because they're not having the right types of conversation. All of this just flows on, and and the accountability levels within the team is not quite where it needs to be because people aren't having the conversations they need to have, and ultimately that has a major, major impact on the level of results that are being achieved. So, you know, teams can have a level of dysfunction, and they still may achieve a certain result that they've set out to 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 achieve. But my argument would be that, well, it'd probably take you two or three times as long to get there, uh, and you probably would have excelled or, or gone well above the result you expected to have if you had far less dysfunction in your team.
0: And what do you think about the role of leaders in teams? How important are they?
1: Look, it sets the standard. You know, the leader is the standard. You know, that phrase I like to use a lot is, uh, culture is a reflection of leadership. So, you know, it's I'm always encouraging leaders and, and we have to look at ourselves in what we're doing if we're working with teams. And even as a consultant, I need to do that. You know, how am I enabling a certain thing in a leader or how am I not having a conversation or I'm not noticing something? So a leader being there 24-7 and an organisation with his team, what he or she does, uh, generally the, the team that, uh, they are directly responsible for, models that behaviour in some shape or form. It doesn't always come through directly, but we always need to look at ourselves as leader a and say, well, okay, if somebody's maybe not achieving this performance goal or if they're behaving or they think they can behave in a certain way, what are we doing that is potentially enabling that behaviour? So it really sets, it underpins everything in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes with lots of teams that I've worked with, the leader hasn't really quite understood that people copy what they do. (laughs) You know, they don't actually know how influential they are and they don't understand that they're sending messages, whether they're doing or not doing something, they're still sending a message.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, again, a a key sort of point I haven't talked about today, but that level of self-awareness is absolutely critical, you know, for a leader to first acknowledge that and have the awareness around that, because when they do, a they can work on it, and that working on it, whatever that it is, allows for much stronger relationships, which enables teams to thrive much better. The genuine conversation to be had, and you can solve stuff. Again, a massive believer in that the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. If you can set up a scene for those genuine conversations, yeah, you can solve everything.
0: And if you were recruiting a new team member and you were writing a job ad for the new team member, focusing on how that team member might fit into the team, what are some of the things that you would concentrate on that you'd be asking for?
1: Look, I it really depends on the organisation and the behaviours that they value. You know, the, the sort of phrase core values comes to, to mind fairly and squarely. So um, one thing I would say here is we need to focus more on the behaviours and the behaviours that are um, valued in the organisation and less on the technical competency. So I'm not saying that you know if you're a if you're a doctor or a, you know some specialised position that needs a certain level of technical competency, you don't overlook that. You know it's still important, but there's still lots of people out there that are very technically gifted, very very smart people that they don't have the desired behaviours that would thrive in your workplace. And again, they're the ones that generally come in and it just doesn't feel right to start with. And the, the more you work with, the more you unpack. Uh, the dysfunction starts to build around them. Uh, And so what I encourage is that before any job advertisement or any of that sort of stuff is written, if organisations haven't taken the time to understand what behaviours they value and what behaviours will thrive in their organisation... They have to have some idea of what that is first before they can go and see the person. Otherwise, it's a bit like Russian roulette spin the wheel, spin the wheel, and you just get whatever you get if you don't really know how to source people through a process of what you value.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so true, isn't it? And you don't want to play Russian roulette when it comes to people.
1: <laughs> Look, it's it's not ideal. Michelle, at all, but look, the, the other thing I would say, and, and again, this is this is not my own work, this is leaning on the back of uh, Patrick Lencioni again, but he wrote a book called The Ideal Team Player. And once again, it's a fantastic book. And I've looked at my own leadership journey, uh, both in sport and organisations, is that whenever... Um, whenever I've not been the best team player that I could be, or whenever I've, whenever, whenever I've worked with somebody who's maybe not been an ideal team player, it always came down to three of these, these three virtues that Lenciani talks about, and that's humble, hungry, and smart. So I touched on humility before, you know, humility is about being vulnerable and you know, being open about the fact that. Uh, Somebody in the team may be better at something than you, and you get help from them. But really, about putting the interests of the team first before your own self-interest—that's super yeah. important in that humility piece. The well, the let me go to hungry first because that's. That's pretty simple. That's really about work ethic, right? You want people need to have a good level of work ethic. And historically, that's something that's generated and created in you as a young person. You know, so it's not that you can't train that or get people excited about stuff, but you know, having a really solid work ethic is important and it's often it's often developed in you from a young age. And then the third part of that is around smarts and, and not technical smarts, it's about people smarts, having common sense around people. Uh, emotional intelligence falls into that banner. It's not about any one of these things. It's about having a balance in all three of those things. And if you do, then you're actually a really, really good team player. You'll put the interests of the team first, Uh, You'll put your hand up because you've got a great work ethic to do work that you you never hear them say it's not my job or that's not my work, that's not my responsibility. They'll do what they need to do for the team. And the people smarts is you understand your own behaviours, how they impact others, and you also understand the behaviours of the individuals within the team and how you can best work with those people to get the best out of them. A nice balance of that. Um, So even if you don't have, you know, this is some of the work I do, even if the organisation hasn't yet gone to the trouble of really getting some clarification in their own core values as an organisation, if they value teamwork and they believe that that can provide the competitive advantage they're looking for in the organisation, which I believe it can, then just fall back on the ideal team player side of things and we can start from there and it makes a significant difference.
0: So humility, hunger and smarts.
1: Humble, hungry, smart, absolutely
0: yeah great and that's a great framework just to finish up on our 20 minutes has come and gone it happens very quickly around here Um,
1: time flies when you're
0: having fun Michelle very true but I do have one very last question for you which is if you could give a handy hint or a tip to all those people who are members of teams out there what would that one handy hint be to all those team members
1: The one that comes to mind straight away, again, probably because I I interviewed a lady recently, and and her and I were very much on the same page with this, and I'm sure you'll be as well, given your extensive background. It's really about engagement. Engagement is this buzzword, but the thing I really love when we talk about engagement is that we put a lot of responsibility on leaders, and that's... Great. That's important, and, and leaders do have a, a level of responsibility that they, you know, they need to work harder. But every single person has control of their own level of engagement. They can make a difference to their own workplace, uh, how they're feeling in the workplace, what sort of role they're doing. All they need to do is have some courage to speak up sometimes. Because I really believe that there's not too many leaders out there that wake up in the morning and say, "Look, I can't wait to be the worst leader today." It just doesn't happen. So everybody in a team, in a working environment, should take responsibility, be accountable for their own uh, pleasure at work, and if their leader's not been open to them about coming to them to say, hey, how can we do a better job, how can I can do a better job, then manage up, have the conversation up because you have complete control over that situation and you can do something about it. Beautiful.
0: I love that. What a way to wrap up. i all about choosing to be engaged in your team and driving toward the success of that team collectively thank you so much brennan rogers i appreciate your time and your wisdom this morning
1: i appreciate you thank you michelle appreciate the opportunity